This podcast contains conversations about trauma and other challenging subjects and may be sensitive for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. If you need resources to get help, please see the show notes. You're listening to Drawn to a Deeper Story. I'm Kath Brew from drawntoastory.com. I'm an artist who illustrates and educates about marginalised experiences for positive change with a particular interest in identity, belonging and expat life. This podcast is about the lives that challenge us and the difficult conversations around them. It's a place to listen openly, to absorb people's truths and to learn how to show up differently for the benefit of everyone. And that's you included. Now, a major part of having difficult conversations is that they are also often complex conversations. There's no easy answers. And today's conversation fits that perfectly. Today, we're talking about false memory. And I'm not talking about your memory not working too well or forgetting to pick up some milk. I'm talking about an authentic belief that something happened when, in fact, it didn't. So today I'm joined by Kevin Felstead, who is Director of Communications for the British False Memory Society. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you for joining me. Good afternoon to you, Kath. Good afternoon. So before we get started, I just want to introduce everybody to you and so they know your experience in this area and Kevin has an impressive CV it's long (laughs) but it's important to show you Kevin's experience in this area especially given the delicacy and the sensitivities that come about around false memory and sexual abuse. So in 2001, Kevin was awarded a doctorate from Keele University, where he taught an undergraduate course on the history of crime and punishment in England and Wales since 1800. And simultaneously, he taught US history at Liverpool Hope University College and has been visiting lecturer at Manchester Metropolitan and Manchester Universities. Kevin was subsequently employed by High Peak Borough Council and later by Manchester City Council, working in the field of community safety, neighbourhood crime and justice. He was also a member of the High Peak and Derbyshire Dales Domestic Abuse Reduction Partnership Strategy Group and subsequently in Manchester, a founding member of RAISE, which is Raising Awareness of Sexual Exploitation. He was also a member of the South Manchester Independent Police Advisory Group. And he's also a TEDx speaker. He's been interviewed for multiple press releases about false memory, and he's given numerous conference and university departmental talks about false memory, including the creation of satanic myth in the UK, sex abuse shambles and how to reduce miscarriages of justice. And he's also been a visiting external lecturer at Goldsmiths, Portsmouth and Warwick Universities. He's currently an advisory board member for falsely accused carers and teachers. And lastly, almost lastly, Kevin is the author of Justice for Carol, the creation of a satanic myth in the United Kingdom. His family have set legal precedent as litigants in person by being given rare permission from the Solicitor General to apply to the High Court or the Royal Courts of Justice, to quash an inquest into his sister's death. And lastly, Kevin holds the rank of Rokudan, which is the sixth dan in Shotokan Karate. 
How's that for a, a summing up of your, everything that you're about? So with all of that context, could you please tell listeners what is false memory and what isn't false memory? What is this all about? False memory is basically a belief in something that is demonstrably incorrect. Mm -hmm. So if you believe in something and all the empirical evidence shows it's not true, but you still continue to believe in it, um, it's almost like a psychosis. I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but it's very similar to a psychosis. And why does it happen? How does it come about? It can come about in many contexts, um, but for us, the, the BFMS, it's basically therapeutically driven, where somebody would go to see a counsellor with an adult problem. That problem may be um, depression, postnatal depression is quite a big one for us. Mm -hmm. anxiety, stress, relationship problems, all the things that as adults we tend to experience. Mm. Now, in good hands, those problems can be addressed. Um, but in the wrong hands, if somebody believes that all of your adult problems have their origins in your childhood, then it becomes problematic. And I was thinking that the ramifications, this must be enormous, because I recently read an article about a young woman who messaged her best friend to ask whether she could drop by to collect a jumper that she left at her house the night before. And she said to her, you, you weren't at my house last night. And in fact, it turned out that she hadn't even gone out. And they laughed about it. And that's fine. That's just a jumper. But the ramifications for serious crimes like physical and sexual assault must be huge if anybody can be accused of something. Yes. Um I mean, let me preface this before I answer. Mm. And I want to be really clear on this, that the BFMS abhors child abuse. Child mm. abuse does exist. It is widespread. It's common to all societies and cultures. And we should never, ever shirk away from acknowledging that. Yeah. So that's one data set of unfortunate real victims who have been abused who can remember what's happened to them. They may not remember every detail, but they know who did it and when and where. So that's, that's data set A. Data set B are the cases we get. Adult accusers, the average age would be in their early 30s, according mm -hmm. to our database. They go to a psychotherapist or counsellor for an adult problem and after one, two, three sessions they suddenly claim that they now remembered abuse spanning years normally and that they previously blocked it out because it's too traumatic to remember. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about people who say, I previously had no memory whatsoever of it. Now I've had counselling. They've taken me back to the past and I've realised that all these things happened to me and I blocked them out because it's too traumatic for mine to remember. So... Let me unpack that a bit. So, I mean, apart from the problematic, the complexity of what they think has now happened to them, there's massive implications then for psychologists and licensing of psychologists. And how does that impact? Firstly, is there anyone looking at this in terms of from the, the therapist's point of view? Are they aware of the impact of what they're having? On Some are, but unfortunately, the BFMS, we do deal with the dark side of it mm. and they're completely blissfully unaware and refuse to acknowledge the damage that has been done to the individual, the counselling, 
to their family, to their friends and to society. Because mm. when we talked earlier, I, I said to you, like you either block it out or you remember it in every detail and, and you smiled and you gave me a look that told me I was talking bollocks. Um, so, th- and this makes me think about what you've just said about uh, memory inverted commas that someone suddenly has. Why can you say so categorically that that's not the case? Well, it's not a difficult question to answer, Kat, to be honest with you, because the mind, trauma is more likely to be remembered and forgotten. You can't forget it. It'd be quite convenient, actually, if somebody who'd been traumatised could block it out. But we know that... Yeah, much more desirable to. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. But memory doesn't work like a video recorder or a filing cabinet or a computer hard drive. Um, it's, it simply doesn't work like that. It's reconstructive. And our memories are, are particularly shocking, actually. Um, we all think we've got good mm. memories, but we really haven't. And the, the problem is with trauma, it's more likely to be remembered. So we look at events that are going on in the world elsewhere now. How on earth could people block that out? Um, you can have a traumatic brain injury or medical condition, which can do that, but you can't forget mm. things that have happened to you like that. People debate this, academics debate it, but certainly anything before the age of three is very unlikely to be remembered by anyone. Four, five, six, most people get the earliest childhood memories around age seven. The brain isn't sufficiently developed from birth until three, four, to actually store information. It doesn't work like that. Interesting. So if we just go back a few steps, how do these scenarios come about? Like, how do people live with being accused of something falsely? I'm fairly certain that there's very different levels of of accusations of whether something ends up in court, like you say, with a serious thing like, like sexual assault. But it must be very traumatic for someone who is accused when false memory is involved and, and also for the family dynamics and blow families apart. After we'd spoken this morning and before this um, podcast, I took another call from a lady whose father has just been sentenced to 18 years imprisonment. Now, I need to see the file. But for what certainly sounds like false memory type allegations. Now, she began counselling. Um, I had no memories of being abused prior to counselling. If, if I can move on to closer to home, my sister made allegations mm-hmm. against her family. We were supposed to be the leaders of a multi-generational satanic cult responsible for at least eight murders. The central definitive traumatic mm. event of her life on which she had 20 years counselling based on this diagnosis being correct was that my mother murdered another baby, sat my sister on top of her and set fire to the house. Wow. Presumably to conceal what she'd done. Now, that's recorded in my sister's medical records. Mm -hmm. It was accepted as fact by 99% of people who saw Mm -hmm. her. There were some doubting Thomases along the way. And the the correct chronology is that my sister was born in 1964. As can be proven by her birth and death certificate, she died in 2005 in circumstances which are still unknown today. Um, there was a house fire. Luckily for us, it was reported on the front page of our newspaper. It took place in 1963, mm. one year before she was born. And there was another child mm. 
that child, Joan Julie, was a Down syndrome baby and had a defective heart and died in hospital. My dad, an engineer, he got a telephone at work. There were no mobile phones back then. Mm. And it went like this. He said, we've been trying to contact your wife all morning. Joan Julie's deteriorated. You need to come to the hospital. He went to the hospital in his overalls. Was shown into a side room and she died in front of him. She never left the confines of the hospital. Well, that event took place in 1962. Okay. So the allegations are not only false, they're actually impossible mm. because my sister wasn't alive when these events took place. Yeah. I'm fascinated in that line then between false memory and being schizophrenic and having hallucinations and kind of how, yeah. how do you start to understand what's actually at play? Well, but the mind's a fragile thing, you know, it, it is. I mean, at, at some point in life, one third of the UK population has mental health issues. Mm. So it's far more common than we like to think. And I think I was reading somewhere the other day, maybe wrong on the stats, but around 4 million people reported to statutory services during lockdown with mental health problems. Mm. So the mind, the mind is fragile. Mm. In, in the hands of a counsellor, unskilled, with a belief system that every problem you have comes from your childhood, when you start delving into that past, and mm. um, particularly with hypnotherapy, with regression counselling, it's a tricky situation. Yeah. And it's very, very easy to believe in these things. Once you let this stuff in, it takes over your whole personality mm. and your whole life can be focused on it. Um, if, if you think of counselling, if it's got any beneficial effect, I would suggest diplomatically that it would reveal itself before that. Yeah, yeah. Um, CBT, Cognitive Behaviour Therapy, the aim is to focus on the here and now, mm. work out coping strategies, which you can use on a day-to-day -day basis. You don't need to go delving into the past trying to unpick things. And here's a problem again with genuine sexual abuse survivors. They don't need a counsellor to help them remember what's happened. They can remember it. Because they haven't forgotten it. Yeah, exactly. Mm. When you're being taken back and regressed, people like to think, you know, hypnosis is an accurate form of recall. Well, it really isn't. There's no evidence for it. Not, not at all. In fact, the evidence is against it. It can help you with basic things if you want to maybe sleep deprivation, give up smoking, losing weight, it's mm. probably a good tool. But when you're using it to take you back to the past, to childhood, and the problem with false memories is they feel very real. It's very hard to discern them from real memories. Mm. I was also thinking if they're with a therapist or a counsellor, they're in a vulnerable state anyway through the hierarchy of therapist and patient, but then also they're there for a reason and they're obviously feeling vulnerable in some capacity. And I was thinking if you add that then to the way the brain works and, I mean, I remember at university watching a film of two people and they, they had two sticks or two bits of wood on a table and they were very, very evidently completely different lengths. And there was a person's role in there was to convince the others that they were actually <laughs> all the same length. And it did not take long. Within a couple of minutes, these people, they were like umming and ahhing and, and, and then someone else came into the room and they said, there's these two bits, they're the same length, and they just started to repeat it. And it was mind-blowing watching it. And that's just a, like a fun experiment that we watch. But if you then add someone being vulnerable or even looking up to a therapist who's like to help them, or like it's very powerful situation to find yourself in. 
I think you've nailed it in that whole statement, Kathy. There's a power relationship, isn't there, mm, in any yeah. case? The mm. person who's having counselling is there because they have a problem which you want mm. some help with. And, and some people like to please, don't they? They like yeah. to give an answer that the questioner is asking. And then add to that suggestibility. Some people are suggestible. Add to that imagination. Some people have vivid imaginations. Mm. And if something is implanted, it quickly becomes distorted and it can feel real when it completely is, is wrong. I mean, going back to hypnosis, in my opinion, there'd be no point in trying to hypnotise me. It, it just wouldn't work. Mm. Hypnosis is deep relaxation, but it wouldn't work with me. I know too much. I'm not wired up like that. <laughs> um, but with yeah. some people, they, they relax them so much, it's controversial. But some people are highly suggestible. And then when you've got a person to use a cliche in a white coat with a couch in front of you, it's not a neutral relationship. Then they're telling you that, well, you're sounding to me like somebody who's been abused mm. in childhood. And then when you say, well, that never happened, then it can be put to you that you're in denial about it. Mm. And who wins in that situation? You know, it, it, it's not genuine abuse. It's certainly not the client. No. And the families in every single case... Mm the people who go down the false memory routes end up estranged from the family. Yeah. I personally, since I've been in post, I had four suicides Wow. with the BFMS. Yeah. Um, two of them are young. And, and you know, we've, I've got to survive, I've got to sleep, but it does get to you. Yeah. You know, yeah. so there are no winners in that. The young person dying. Yeah. We know that it's, when you look at witness statements with, with the police, they will vary about the same event and come up with actual different, not even just a perception, but of like fact. Let, let me tell you a true story, mm -hmm. which I'm now no longer embarrassed to say. <laughs> so many decades ago, I was a witness to a violent assault in a pub. It was early. I hadn't been drinking and somebody was assaulted quite viciously with a pint pot before we became plastic. Mm -hmm. So the police got involved. A person who was injured um, went to hospital and the perpetrator fled. Later on, this ended up in Crown Court and I was a witness of prosecution. Mm -hmm. And I made a detailed statement based on my recollection of that evening. And when I got to court, we all sat outside court and suddenly the accused changed his plea to guilty. Now, we went inside the court to listen to it and I described beautifully in fantastic detail, a person who was with him, um, his best friend, not the accused, and got them completely mixed up. Now, thank mm. God I didn't get called to give evidence because I'd have been demolished. But I <laughs> described immaculately mm. the person who'd done this, but it wasn't him. He was just present. Mm. So I'd, I'd even got the, mm. the perpetrator and his associate completely mixed up. I told you a story earlier, didn't I, where... Mm. My mother told me, or at least one of my brothers, about an event where she'd had a stillborn baby called Christopher. And this is in the 60s. When Christopher, you know, he was stillborn, so he's deceased. The nurses felt sorry for her and gave her another baby to hold. Mm -hmm. And she held that baby. That baby had no arms and legs. It was thalidomide. And I wrote mm. a beautiful chapter, I thought, in a book with my brother, and I presented it to my father. It took me three weeks to write this short chapter, and I thought I nailed it. And he said, you know, it's really good, Dad. He said, there's just one problem with it. 
I said, what's that? I said, it's not true. <laughs> what do you mean it's not true? Mum told me it mm. and she told it to Richard, my brother. He said, well, I was there. He said, your mum mm. was on pethidine. She didn't know what day it was, the pain relief. He said, and think about it. You wouldn't get a mother to hand over a baby to another woman at gunpoint. He said, and why isn't the baby getting any arms and legs? He said, what's that about? And then suddenly I realised, and I believed this for decades, that that story that my mother believed and told me could not be true. And it's quite like a shock. It's something I'd believed in all my life. But that also is fascinating because it makes me question what the idea of truth is completely, because then what is fact is only one version of truth in many ways. And then if you then look at people who have false memory through whatever circumstance, and then you end up down the other end where you end up with people who are got dementia and that kind of like, there's these, it, to me, some of all of this is not necessarily about what is said, but is also how it's received by someone. Have you got any recommendations about how do we avoid these circumstances? I think it's impossible. I think that Mm. all of our memories are susceptible. Um, If you discuss with siblings at Christmas and you look back on your childhood, everybody interprets some things differently. Yeah, I told you earlier about a conversation with my brother about an event in the mid-1980s. We were both there. We've got totally different recollections of that event. Now, we can't both be correct because they're too diametrically <laughs> opposed. Yeah, and yeah. Probably neither of us is fully correct, although mm. I suspect he's more correct than I am. <laughs> um, but but it's, it's, re- it's really difficult, isn't it? Mm. This is a problem. You know, what if I say to you, what happened to you 10 hours ago, 10 days ago, 10 weeks ago, 10 months ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, And that's what happens in false memory type allegations. You're asked to remember events, in my latest case, that took place 40 years ago. Yeah. Now, how how can you remember that if it's not written down? You can dispel this or, or clarify it if you like, but I remember reading once that someone said, talking about childhoods, is that actually if you've had a really lovely childhood and a good childhood, you don't often remember details because you haven't come up against trauma and when trauma happens you remember it you it it marks yeah I I get I get that completely I go along Mm. with that most of our lives are unremarkable let's be honest Mm. and the mundane things so routine happiness why would you remember it because it's part of your your day-to-day living Mm. and there are some things obviously special occasions and other things and unusual events but by and large most of our lives are mundane yeah yeah Um, and so you don't you don't remember them yeah I did did mention to you earlier about a court case I was involved in Mm. recently whereby the accuser claimed to remember an event when she was age three Mm -hmm. and under cross-examination when she was asked what she had at breakfast that day she couldn't remember when she was asked what clothes she wore she couldn't remember when she was asked what she did the day before, she couldn't remember. When she was asked mm. what she did the following day, she couldn't remember. She only could remember this episode, which came from a dream, mm. we think, on that day. And the jury acquitted unanimous not guilty verdicts quite fast. So she's made an allegation, I would argue, that should not go to the legal system. It mm. shouldn't enter the legal system. Because when you're directing your resources on these false memory type cases, you're not directing your resources towards real victims. 
Mm. Uh, and it's a waste of everybody's time. It's a waste of money. Uh, and there should be a way of screening that out. In the Netherlands, they have a panel where there's a suspicion of false memory cases. It goes to a different group. It doesn't go to police, or it doesn't mm. initially, but it's then sent on to this panel of experts to look at the whole memory issues. In to it. prevent it from getting yeah. there. Yeah. What comes up when you say that, though, is if we talk about trauma as being something that you don't forget, like you remember when something happens, and then you've got someone saying, when I was five, this thing happened to me. Yeah. How do you find out whether it's false memory or whether it's real abuse? Because surely if someone hasn't seen a psychologist or a therapist, is that always a founding factor of these cases? Like, How do you differentiate knowing? It's very difficult. And in some Mm. cases you can't know, but you don't need a counsellor now. You can go online. Mm. If you're looking for an explanation as to why your life has been unhappy, Mm. you can type it in and I've done it and it will come up. You get checklists. So famously, the courage to heal will say, okay, even if you don't remember being abused, this is is a sort of self-help guide for sort of sexual assault victims. It will say, you know, even if you don't remember being abused, it doesn't mean you weren't abused. Now think about that statement. And then it gives you a whole checklist and it's impossible not to to tick the checklist. Um, Everybody that life is not um, kind of the perfect recipe, is it? No. Things happen, things go wrong. So yeah. in some cases, you don't know. You've got three scenarios. I mean, you've got one, the allegations of a fight, somebody saying I was abused at five may be true. Mm-hmm. They may be partially true. They may be untrue. And teasing out is very difficult. But what you can do, we have a professional scientific advisory board Mm. And it's difficult to get experts into court these days because the courts don't like experts. Yeah, I was going to ask you how this kind of evidence is received in court. In general, the courts in the UK, they're they're more open to DNA, forensic type experts. Memory Mm. is not a popular kind of argument to go on. But in Crown Courts, we can get them in. What would normally happen is a member of our scientific and professional advisory board who are comprised of senior academics, university professors, psychiatrists, psychologists, they would analyse the file that is sent to them. Mm-hmm. They look at the complaining statements and other evidence, and they particularly look at the language in that statement, because sometimes mm-hmm. in false memory type allegations, the language is not that of the child, it's an adult language. Mm, and they will look at all that. And they, they, they can never say, and they shouldn't in my opinion, they can never say this person's guilty or this person's innocent. But what mm. they can do is apply the, the, the memory science and go yeah. to it and say, well, on the basis of what I've read, these allegations are likely yeah. to be questionable. Um, but sometimes they come in the opposite. Sometimes they will say um, the, the allegations stack up. We, we have our kind of memory experts on both sides. And I'm quite yeah. happy to give memory experts to the Crown Prosecution Service. We did a case in Liverpool a few years ago where two of our advisors, independent of each other, wrote reports, and that case didn't go to trial, which, if you think about that, it's the best result all around, Mm, because then you can use those resources in a genuine case. We had a case a few years ago where we instructed somebody um, to do a report, and then the prosecution, as a matter of course, instructed their expert but the experts agreed that this was a false memory type allegation. And what mm-hmm. was really important in this 
was that they both said the complainant is not lying. She generally believes it, but memory is a questionable. Uh, and, and, and they, ag they agreed, and the case didn't go ahead. It, it was dropped. It was always going to trial. There's never a point it wasn't going to trial. But the prosecutor stood up and said to the judge, he would have to step down because it would be professionally embarrassed if the case went ahead. Oh, that's interesting. Because yeah. I imagine when you have a, a jury in a court system, their role is to decide on guilt or innocence. And but truth in air quotes, as I'm putting my fingers up, yeah. is much more complex. And yeah. we, as you just said, with false memory, it's not about that someone's lying. They hundred percent believe what they're saying to be true, don't they? So, yes. so that on top of that, then comes this whole moral argument of of having to understand that someone is not manipulating. You believe what your what is has happened has happened, and yeah. it, it hasn't. Yeah, and, and false memory accusers are very believable mm. because they believe it. And the problem with the criminal justice system is adversarial, a term I hate, but solicitors use it frequently. They say it's a beauty contest. Mm. You choose between the accuser and the accused. That cannot be the best way of doing things. And the other problem with jurors is that they were fed, aren't we, as consumers of newspapers and media, were fed a, a diet of abuse, and because there is a lot of abuse anyway, and in some cases make the press, um, people take preconceptions into the courtroom with them. Yeah, depending on what newspapers you read as well and how it's yep. presented, you can't help but have that bias with you already when you get into a room yeah. and look, who, look who's in front of you. What used to happen in the past is that women, and they weren't largely women, the vast majority of people reported sexual abuse, had a torrid time in the courtrooms. The criminal mm. justice system let them down. The sexual antecedents was dragged up and used against them to discredit them. And some of the outcomes in historic criminal trials are frankly shocking. And I found that out in my PhD. I did a chapter on sexual assault and I did a chapter on um, domestic violence. So you've got that extreme. Then along comes Savile. And then we've let... To another extreme, but surely it has to reign in the middle somewhere. Um, we all want the same thing, don't we? We all want abusers to be brought to justice. Mm. And we don't want to convict innocent people. But the Court of Appeal overturns about 70 cases per year on average. Okay, these wow. are not all sex cases. Yeah. But just look at that, multiply it. So over 10 years, mm. this is a Court of Appeal saying, well, there's 700 people have been falsely convicted, then take it back. If I was a barrister with more legal experience, I could probably list you a long line of cases mm. where your clients um, are being convicted. There's no barrister, there's no criminal barrister or solicitor in this country, in my opinion now, who hasn't had a miscarriage of justice. Mm. It's so widespread, it would shock the public. Yeah. Totally yeah. shock them. And there's a lot of people who have very different experiences of of the justice system but i wonder sometimes if it feels outdated this idea of the safety net of the of justice and it of the court system and our and our legal system i mean yeah it's like we have to have something we have to have some structure that we work within but it just feels like a very difficult beast to wrangle we have the oldest man in the prison population he's one of our cases mm. and he's over 100 now Wow. And he was convicted of events, I think, which took place 50, 60 years ago. Mm. Now, how can you how, how can you defend that? If you mm. look at the justice system, then I 
probably none of us are happy with it, are we? So, mm. but it's kind of all we've got, isn't it? I mean, there's no it other. Is. There no, aren't other options at the moment, yeah, and 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 for genuine cases, there has to be that sense of you've wronged me. This yes. is now justice. And last year, I talked to a guy who who'd been in prison, and he was saying about his experiences in there, and we were talking about that that need that if you are a genuine victim, you need to see that someone's been punished yes. and and then that led into a whole conversation around what life in jail was actually like but there is something in the human way of being the human being is that if if you were wronged you want to feel that you've been righted yeah natural, and, natural justice yeah and and so i kind of think that there's a system that exists it may not be perfect and it's it's obviously got some problems but it's kind of like what else do you do yeah and then i think of the circumstances of false memory and then family members who have been accused falsely who are living with a difficult relationship then assuming that someone hasn't gone through the court system but just they've been accused of something and then they're they don't talk to each other anymore well that's that's a good point because most of our cases don't end up in the courtroom yeah but that said the families are all fractured in yeah. every single case. Yeah. And they're left le- living with this thing that, yeah. like, what, what do I do with it? In every yeah. single case, the accusers are estranged from the family. So all of the family support networks are taken away. Mm. They become overly dependent on their counsellor. Uh, um, in some cases, there are no boundaries. It's quite shocking what, what, what happens. And literally, there are no winners because the person who's made false memory type allegations... Well, can you imagine how bad it must be? You think the family yeah. has actually done something to you. Yeah. Uh, and then the family are all fractured. And the toughest yeah. job, I think, is the siblings. Yeah, they caught in the middle of it. Stuck in the middle. And you get parental alienation. You know, it's another, it's another topic, but there are no winners. No, and huge, huge isolation for the person who's yeah. got the false memory. And, and as you say before, firmly believes that this is what's happened. But then yeah. sitting with that unresolved relationship for everybody it must be just awful. Or do you know of cases with your work where relationships have been repaired? Have Is it yes. possible to change it and make someone realise that it didn't happen? Yes. It, it comes with the qualifier, this answer. So, yes, mm. there are cases. But what we know, it's very quick to make an allegation. It takes a lot longer to retract mm. it. Yeah. And often years, but we mm. do have retractors. Um, and they they I have one at the moment actually. Mm. And she's come to retract the allegations she made against family members. She was put into group therapy and it became a competition for who'd had the worst experience. Mm, so she made her allegations. Other people claimed to be the victims of a serial killer, other people claimed to have been involved with Howard Shipman, and you're actually encouraged in this situation to outdo each other. Um, but mm. the damage that's done along the way is mm. scary. Mm. For me, the biggest worry is, is apart from families and people whose relationships get irrevocably damaged, is that it then throws into question, like you said at the very beginning, of real cases and people coming forward and actually needing the case for real justice and people needing to i'm glad you brought that up i mean if we just sort of sidestep a little bit and we compare mm. this this model of the mind can't 
you know, cope with trauma, so it represses it. Let's look at domestic violence or domestic mm. abuse, as it's more commonly called now. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a great part of my study. In fact, I believe I was the first tutor in the United Kingdom to put domestic violence on the university syllabus in a historical context. And basically, That's good. yeah, yeah it, 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 it was needs to be good. talked about. Yeah. yeah, it does. But if you look at domestic violence victims, I'll go back to my own study and research, they again, they're vivid memories of what happened. Being mm. beaten, he would come home from the pub on a Friday night drunk. Mm. I'd say, where's the money for housekeeping? He'd hit me. He beat me up on Christmas Day. Two days later, the neighbours phoned the police. And you could trace a whole antecedents of the 30-year period. Now, we know these cases are massively underreported. They can have vivid memories of it. And literally, how is it that they can remember? How can domestic abuse victims remember these Mm. assaults? Well, I would argue because they can't forget them. Yeah, um, and then the trouble is when we get on to sexual allegations, it all gets a bit hysterical because mm. if you say, "Well, I think this particular case is a false memory or a false allegation," the two are not necessarily the same. You're not saying, "I think all cases are false." No, and mm. I don't think it's an illogical argument to to hold that position. Mm. The first thing that comes to mind is the massive jump that is made between saying that this case isn't and then people hear you saying all cases aren't even though that's not what you've said and if you then link that to false memory you hear what you're programmed to hear the main thing with the false memory allegations is it's a simple thing is Mm. that if you've never had a cognitive memory and then you then turn around and say now remember that you abused me for 20 years Mm. and i entirely repressed it that's your big red flag because we know it doesn't work like that. There are thousands of scientific papers on this. I've got a mm. couple of hundred. We have a, a, an archive of books, the BFMS, which is about 470 books. I personally, my personal collection, if you include them, is 4,000 books. I'm a historian, so I read. And that's causing a problem, actually, in terms of <laughs> You space. can never have too many books. <laughs> I, I, well, I'm in, I'm in that camp. But... but you know, the, the science is there, but mm. people, in, in a way, their story is better than ours. So I'm quite boring because I'll say, well, you've had no previous cognitive recollection of this. It's a false memory. But the other side of it is sexy, isn't Say, ah, this person's repressed all these things for 30 years. Look at this, what we've uncovered. And mm. part of it is storytelling, I, I would argue. Mm. And also, I was thinking if someone's in a distressed state or someone who's not coping with life or feels rejected or isolated from their family, if something gets put into their mind that then starts a conversation, like it gets a reaction, yep. you, it's like the child at school that, that kicks off all the time and they're just yes. seeking attention because that's what they need and what they crave for whatever's gone on at home or not gone on at home or whatever. And to me, it, I was just wondering if it was the same, like you talk about that group environment that you may actually not know the reason why you've started to say something, but it makes you feel better having it, that memory, even though it's trauma, it, it, it's yeah. something that you latch onto. It's exactly like that. Mm. And, and once, once you internalize that, then it's very hard to shift, but it's exactly as you described it. You, you get different kinds of, so, if somebody phones the BFMS helpline, 
which you do daily, you know, you're careful with the calls. Yeah. But there's some some cases which are false allegations and not necessarily false memories. So we don't take them. We try to pass them on mm. to anybody who can, can help. Sometimes that might be legal. Sometimes it could be another organisation. Mm. But people make false allegations for all sorts of reasons. False yeah. memory type allegations are one. A current sort of trend is child custody arguments. Mm. With Just to get back at somebody. Separations. Mm. And, you know, none of us know really what goes on in the family courts. We know it's dreadful in there because it can't be reported on. Um, but you do hear a lot of that now. Um, men and women who, who have been accused and in the middle, in the context, the bitter separation. Um, mm. And those cases, they're not false memory, so no. they're not for us. Yeah. And it's for another group or a legal team to try to resolve. Um, but that that's really prevalent. Yeah. So what level of, from the people that call you, what what's the kind of ratio then that would be like real false memory cases? Probably most of them are false memory cases. Mm. But the latest trend, the latest thing I get is that I get a phone call, normally from a wife or a partner or the man, and she will say, he's just been convicted. Now, I've mm. been speaking to somebody I spoke to this morning. I've been speaking to since, let's get this right, May the 6th, 2017. Mm-hmm. But she was one of the people who telephoned me and said, look, mm. my partner's been falsely convicted. So I would say, well, why do you think that? And then eventually you get the legal files and all this sent over to you. And you can look at it. You've got the paperwork. Um, the first lady who contacted me, was actually in 2014 and said my husband's been convicted in Liverpool Crown Court. Mm. Um, I'm still in touch with her and her husband has just come out of prison after serving half his sentence, which is what the rules were. But I've seen that file. This lady has had an appeal written by a former head of the Court of Appeal judge. Mm -hmm. So why would they even invest in that? One of the statements from a complainant was made on a psychiatric ward. Mm. How can that be viable or just? So the percentage is most of the cases are, but increasingly maybe 30%, maybe 40% mm. of the helpline calls are people who've just been convicted. The variables must be enormous. Like you say, <laughs> where the allegations come from, what context it's come from, like there's so much around it. Well, the, the student cases, and I don't take them, okay, because they're not mm. false memory, they're contemporaneous. A recent case was both parties are saying they had consensual sex. Then one party saying what happened next wasn't consensual. The other party saying, well, what happened next was consensual, and half of what the other party saying didn't actually happen. Now, mm. where, and there's alcohol involved, as mm. always, with student cases. So, yeah. where do you figure that out? Yeah, you know, I don't you, envy you, you that. Can't. I mean, that's just, yeah, that's really hard. You stuff. can't. So you can refer them on to mm. legal teams. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, if, if two people sleep with each other, the myth, as I said to you early on, is that you have to say, um, are you consenting and join the act? Are you still consenting? That's not the law. What the law says is, is that, you know, unless a person tells you are not consenting, it's reasonable to assume they are consenting mm. unless they say they're not or unless their behaviour shows that they're not. But it, 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 it's a mess, you know, basically. 
I mean, you said to me you were talking about earlier about the percentage of reported cases being 89% women and around 11% men. If you're looking at that with the history of sexual assault with women and everything that's been talked about in the media recently, it's it's such a hot subject to touch that I'm just thinking of, of the cultures of like in America with college, the halls of residence yep. and, and here, all that life that goes on yeah, and those lines of what someone does want or doesn't want and, and there still needs to be, no, I did not want this and I need to be believed. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And But how it just, oh, it just, it feels like a really... It's, it's a grey area, isn't it? And I was talking to somebody and I did it. I'm an external lecturer, as you mentioned, to various mm. universities. And I went to one last week and was talking to a postgraduate student. And she was just saying to me, we don't know what the rules are anymore. You know, it's so blurred. And I think you've got a confused generation or a confused society yeah. because it's so muddled, isn't it? Because clearly many of these things are true. They have been abused um, and things have happened and not non-consensual mm. but on the other hand then you've got these cases and you've got the false allegations mm. um it's it's a mess you know i mean it, it, incident wise we've we've our numbers have gone down so in 1993-94 we had 260 callers mm-hmm. call into a helpline there was a newsletter published um in 94-95 and it said you know, I apologise for not being able to do this quicker, but we've been inundated with callers and we've had to prioritise. Our numbers are down now, about 40 a year. That excludes the, the legal inquiries we get. Mm. It excludes the work we do with expert witnesses. And it excludes cases that we don't actually take. Mm. You know, so... so Yeah, gives you an impression of what's really happening out there when you're reducing it all down to then... Yeah. What you are actually taking on. Yeah. yeah. So you, you could say the BFMS has been successful because we've raised awareness about it. And we're getting less numbers. But intriguingly, so when I used to be involved in domestic violence campaigns, you measured your success by getting an increase in callers. So if you did a, a campaign, then your aim would be to get more people to call the helpline. But now we have a website now. We're back, back. You know, in the early 90s, mid-90s, it was hard to get hold of information. So you'd expect that our numbers would go up. But I think that a lot of people go onto the website for information. And once they've got that information, they, they can act on it. Yeah, self-screening process. Yeah, and, and that's why it's so important that the, the BFMS exists and that you can help people in a way that means they're not clogging up the court system or having yeah. people's lives destroyed by it and then having to then try and fight those cases because it's it, it costs a lot to put someone away and then when they're away in inside it's like well how do you get them back out again if it's a false memory like there's a huge cost we have you know we've got a traffic light system in terms of mm. prioritization and we have one case now, which is my top priority, it's in the legal system. I can't really say any more on it. Mm. Um, and I have another one, which has just entered the legal system in an early stage. So you tend to put all your efforts into them. If we get them really early, and I've got these two really early, then we make a big impact. Yeah. There's one solicitor who I work with, and we've never been to trial. Mm. Um, um, we've had over... 
30, maybe 35 now that counting NFAs, no further action since I came mm. into post. That's where the police have invested, investigated allegations and haven't mm. taken proceedings and dropped them. Yeah. Um, and that's always your gold standard is mm. try to have early interventions, Yeah. you know, and, and not let this sort of drip into, you know, yeah. it takes a long time yeah. into criminal justice system, a trial mm. and so on and so on. Yeah. And better result all round for everybody. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So I'm afraid that means we've, we've come to the end of our time. And I wanted to ask how people can find you with it's the, the British False Memory Society on, is it just www.bfms.org.uk? Yes, that's by, by the website. And there's, you can log on to that and you can send a general message in. I get all, all right. of the messages, but it goes to BFMS. I could actually talk to you all day, Carl. Uh, I, I yeah it's a fascinating I, subject i could spend eight hours talking to you about mm. it wouldn't just be about false memory we'd probably mm. cover civilization philosophy why we're here and all of that but, <laughs> maybe that's uh, another podcast then <laughs> yes, it is. yeah i really appreciate your time because i know that you're incredibly busy at the moment we had enough trouble trying to find a day to to talk now so yeah. i really appreciate your time you're um, really you're really welcome um thank you so much it just feels like such a subject that fits perfectly to this podcast where it yeah. it's such a hot subject but it's also because it's such a hot subject it's also so important because there's so much at stake mm. well as i said earlier to you mm. i love your menopause mm. podcast because like you said it's about having conversations that you can't have yeah difficult conversations. we should have we need we need to have yeah yeah i put a trigger warning at the beginning of my podcast i don't want to, to trigger people who are genuine cases of assault and yeah but i also yeah. want to make sure that the people's lives who get destroyed or severely impacted by false allegations for through false memory are equally yeah. heard because we don't hear about that it, it that's i mean you hear some awful cases so so thank you from from me personally for everything that that you do it's far too important to to not do it so and just one last question actually uh given that most of my listeners are expats and a lot of people who live in all parts of the world are there other organizations worldwide that that do this work or is it just the uk one we're, we're the main one now okay. so that although there's one in australia i don't think it's very active mm -hmm. um and we have i told you earlier we have got cases from australia strictly speaking we shouldn't take them but i do yeah um the american society closed down mm -hmm. because they all got too old two years ago mm. Um, I think there's something going on in Holland and there's a definitely active one in Germany. Mm. They do a lot. Yeah. So it's still not many though, when you think about how many, no, it's not. how many no, it's not. countries in the world. So yeah, it's not. no, well, I'll let you go. I know you've got a lot on, so thank you so much for your time. And I'm just so grateful for your willingness to talk about all of this and to just talk frankly and plainly and to, to tell us all about something that, most of us probably haven't heard of or don't know anything about. You're really welcome, Catherine, and enjoyed it. Have a good day yourself. Yeah, thank you. Fantastic. Thanks very much.